and welcome to the Media Law Podcast Newscast. Collect Tom and Paul here to take you through the latest media law headlines. We have a lot of judgments coming out of the phone hacking cases, and we want to start today with the Duke of Sussex award of £140,600 in damages against MGN, which was handed down this morning. That's the 15th of December 2023. The High Court has found that there was extensive phone hacking by Mirror Group newspapers from 1998 to 2011, even to some extent during the Leveson inquiry into media standards. Mr Justice Fancourt found phone hacking and other unlawful information gathering became widespread and habitual from 1998 onwards. The court found that 15 out of the 33 articles complained of by Prince Harry were the product of phone hacking or unlawful information gathering and that directors turned a blind eye and positively concealed the unlawful information gathering that was taking place. Big judgment to have come out. Obviously, you've not had a huge amount of time to to look at it, only about half an hour or so. But can you give your thoughts on that award, I guess, of £140,000 in damages um, and and how the judge has got there in in one of the first judgments we've had coming out of these phone hacking claims that that are working their way through the courts at the moment? Well, on the subject of damages, um, £140,000 awarded to uh, Prince Harry is a substantial amount of money. It ranks as one of the higher awards ever in uh, privacy cases here in England and Wales. It is lower than some of the awards in the Golati case, which was the major phone hacking case a few years ago against the same defendant, Mirror Group Newspapers. Um, But it certainly is uh, very significant in terms of the size. Now, it's not as much money as Harry had been asking for. Uh, It's just over a third of what he was asking for. Um, Nevertheless... It will go down in history, at least for the next few years, as one of the larger awards. And in that sense, we can see the court taking privacy claim obviously seriously. Um, I think the award perhaps doesn't align terribly neatly with some of the descriptions made by the judge. The judge is at pains in this case to say that He has not found all of the allegations to be proven, that he has found that there was a modest amount of uh, hacking of Prince Harry's uh, phone. And yet the award is certainly on the high side for a privacy case. Um, So if we judge the court by its actions rather than its words, we see the court taking uh, the privacy claim very seriously. But take a step back and look at this award of damages in the broader context of damages in media law cases generally, and include in that defamation cases. And two years ago, you had the former leader of the Democratic Unionist Party in Northern Ireland, Arlene Foster, awarded £125,000 in damages for a single tweet that was found to be defamatory of her. Now, I'm not going to get into the merits of that case. We talked about it at the time, Um, but it was found to be defamatory of her. And the imputation was that uh, she had engaged in an extramarital affair. 
Um, and I think in the context where you look at these two awards alongside one another, there does seem to be a discrepancy. Now, I thought at the time, and I said at the time on this podcast, that I thought the Arlene Foster Award was indefensibly high. Um, £125,000 over a single tweet seemed to me to be excessive. But I think it's quite clear that if you put those two up alongside one another, £125,000 for a single defamatory tweet against £140,000 for 15 proven sample, as in there will have been more, instances of phone hacking, um, and suddenly the privacy claim doesn't look like it has been taken quite so seriously um, because you have at least 15 instances of phone hacking against Prince Harry, any one of which will have been distressing, um, as opposed to a single tweet um, that is sent out. So the courts, I think, still have work to do to uh, align the measures of damages in these cases. Um, clearly, there is a very different scale of damages at work in misuse of private information than there is in defamation. Uh, quite possibly, the privacy damages scale is the better one. I think some defamation awards are, as I've said before, ludicrously high. Um, and I actually think that a lot of the arguments that are made against the existence of defamation law in its current form by those who would like to see it reformed, those who are pursuing the the slaps agenda, for example, m might well have their concerns addressed if the awards of damages in defamation weren't so astronomically high. Um, and that, that would be a better way to deal with those problems. So I think Good news for privacy, obviously good news for Prince Harry, but it flags up a, a real point of divergence in the appropriateness and size of damages awards between defamation and privacy. Yeah, I think I think the um, the other aspect of the the case that's worth re reflecting on the, is the length of the judgment. I mean, it's three hundred and eighty six. A4 pages long. It's uh, a claim that involves, although it involves four sample claimants, the cast of characters involved, accused of hacking, blagging, acquiring private information unlawfully. Uh, is lengthy. There are a number of characters here that will be familiar to anyone who studied the Leveson inquiry, who knows uh, the background to the Leveson inquiry, and who knows a bit about the wider circumstances of of hacking uh, and um, uh, the various uh, tragedies uh, that have arisen. Um, there's people here like Benji Pell, Benji the bin man, uh, who was referred to in the Leveson inquiry, um, who would dig around people's bins uh, to acquire information. 
Southern investigations uh, are involved. Um, Southern investigations uh, for whom Daniel Morgan uh, worked um, before um, he was killed uh, and murdered uh, in a pub car park. So there are big issues uh, here that uh, remain unresolved, even with this judgment. And I think what the case brings into sharp focus is once again the great tragedy that has been inflicted upon victims of press malpractice whether they are celebrities or whether they are not the great tragedy that was inflicted when the government in the form of matt hancock decided to end the Leveson inquiry before part two got going because part two of the Leveson inquiry was going to look in more detail at some of the hacking um allegations some of the practices that couldn't be discussed at that time because there were still police investigations ongoing so one tactic that i think the press will deploy in the days to come is to say that what the case relates to is historic activity terrible things that happened but they happened a very long time ago that the press are no longer involved in uh, and they will say things like well we've already apologized for this and we continue to apologize for it but what we should be sensitive to i think is that this moment of reckoning which the press will try and convince us has already happened and was in the past and occurred at sometime in 2011 that moment of reckoning never happened and we should be clear on that a few people were prosecuted and only a handful of them actually went to jail but there has been no moment of reckoning lessons haven't been learned we've heard in the judgment that actually some of the illegal activities that were ongoing uh, were taking place during the Leveson inquiry so there was no moment of reckoning by which the press uh, changed its uh, approach there continues to be no moment of reckoning because the recommendations the full recommendations that Lord Justice, Lord Justice Leveson made in his inquiry weren't properly incorporated so we still don't have a proper system that provides redress uh, for victims of press malpractice. Victims of press malpractice occur um, and are created every single day. And most of them are people you've never heard of and you'll never hear of again. Um, and unless and until we take press accountability seriously, uh, we will continue to have victims of press malpractice created um, on this daily basis. Sticking with the theme, I want to mention that on Tuesday, the 5th of December, there was a hearing before Mr Justice Fan Courts in the case of various claimants and newsgroup newspapers dealing with consequentials following the settlement of all the claims listed for a hearing that was due to take place in January 2024. 
One of the statements that was made there was by the former Liberal Democrat cabinet minister, Chris Hune, who accepted a six-figure sum from the publisher of The Sun and the News of the World in settlement of his phone hacking and intrusion claim. Other celebrities, including the Spice Girl, Mel C, and comedians Catherine Tate and Keith Allen, as well as the radio presenter Chris Moyles, received substantial damages and public apologies from NGN. The other, the other update that I want to mention is the application that was made on Tuesday, the 21st of November, 2023, on behalf of the claimants in Lawrence and others and Associated News. They're intending to ask ministers for permission to use confidential Leviton inquiry documents in their legal action against the publisher of the Daily Mail for misuse of private information and unlawful information gathering. Earlier in the month, Mr Justice Nicklin ruled that the legal challenges could continue against ANL, but they couldn't use the information drawn from the ledgers that ANL provided to the Leveson inquiry in 2011 and 2012. The ledgers were found to be subject to a Section 19 Inquiries Act restriction. Section 19 does not give the court power to permit the use of documents that have been provided in breach of a restriction order under Section 19. After the conclusion of the inquiry, only the relevant minister can revoke the order. And so we will, of course, keep listeners updated on how the request to ministers for the lifting of those restrictions on the use of the ledgers goes. But uh, at this stage, we haven't had any updates from that. May I just come in on the um, you know, on, on some of this stuff, Colette? Um, in particular, I think it's worth mentioning the way that defendants like mirror group newspapers are reacting to claims of phone hacking and because we're now seeing i think quite a clear pattern in the galati case which i've mentioned it was the major phone hacking case a few years ago mirror group newspapers admitted as a matter of law that the tort of misuse of private information covered not just the publication of private information but also the acquisition of private information that was not published i.e hacking phones listening to some mundane message and then deciding not to publish it that that would still be covered um and there were academics who re reacted to this by saying well this is you know a clear indication that the tort of mpi now works as a quasi intrusion tort it covers a legal an act of wrongdoing a legal wrong um beyond the publication and dissemination of private information um and the point that was made in response to that by uh, a, a number of other academics including myself and uh jake robottom at oxford um was that um since that point of law was admitted in Galati, it was never the subject of judicial consideration. We don't have a court ruling, having considered the law, that the tort of MPI covers mere intrusion. And that strategy seems to have carried on. Um, the judgment in uh, this latest uh, Harry against Miracle Newspapers case was handed down uh, this morning. I've had access to the judgment at the time we were recording this for just over an hour 
Uh, it is 386 pages long, so I might have missed the section where the judge goes into great forensic formal legal detail uh, on why uh, uh, the tort of MPI covers this, but I don't think from my initial skimming of it that it's there. I think that that's been admitted again. Um, and it, it it is a little irritating to an academic privacy lawyer that this point continues to go unaddressed, and it goes unaddressed if defendants decide to admit it um it may well be that it's not strategic it might just be that uh council representing mirror group newspapers think that it is so gosh darn obvious that the court would find it to be a misuse of private information that they might as well admit it and not waste time on it um but it's still i don't think it is actually there subjected to detailed judicial consideration and until it is we're left with that grey spot in the law where we can kind of see as a matter of practice that MPI is being used in this way, but nobody's actually sat down and done the hard formal work of making the making the case for it. Um, Paul, any views on that? Well, yes, I'm, I'm reminded of an exceptionally good uh, article academic article written by Paul Ragg in the Cambridge Law Journal in 2019, in which he said um, that there is no conceptual distinction between misuse of private information claims and uh, seclusion into intrusion, uh, as the Americans uh, call the tort. Um, so I'm pretty sure that he wouldn't have a problem uh, with the misuse of private information torts uh, being applied in this way to intrusion. You'd have to ask him. Other articles are available. Hmm. The final headline that I want to mention today was the in relation to the defamation claim that's being brought by Prince Harry against Associated News Limited. There was an application by the Duke of Sussex to strike out or obtain summary judgments on the defence of honest opinion relied on by ANL, which was denied on the 8th of December 2023. So that case will proceed to trial next year. Thank you very much, Tom and Paul, for your excellent insights, as always. Thanks, Colette. Thanks, Colette. Always a pleasure. And we will be back with more newscasts in the new year. Thanks very much, everyone. Have a great Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas.